The year is 1967. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Marvelous here at Comic Book Reading Club. I'm Dave, the comic book expert, and alongside Zach. Oh no, I totally did do it last time because I called you the comic book stilt man. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Well, you could just finish it. <laughs> okay, all right. And alongside Zach, the comic book Wilbur Day, we'll cover all the essential Marvel stories from right. its origin to it. today. This episode will be covering the second half of 1967. Let's get into into it because we got a lot of comics uh, to talk about i i hated this this is a rough second half wasn't it <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if i want to cover it i think let's just pack it up the podcast i mean yeah right okay All no right. i see, I see you a next similar year sense and like i was actually as i was reading these like okay obviously i put the list together i've <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so this, like this i am to blame i suppose but i've i've done it before so like i kind of have that sense as i'm going through it of like are these fun to read through again? And definitely this Not. 67 part two was the most I've been questioning, like the value of a Silver Age reread. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't uniformly dislike everything. No, there was. Uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. I definitely some people are going to be scared off as as Zach just was as he just ran out of the room. And uh, <laughs> I'm I don't know. Yeah, I had I had similar feelings as we read through the second half of 67. Um, I did not have these feelings during the first half. I should clarify, like mm-hmm. those stories yeah. are still pretty strong. But this second half, I've been questioning how much do I want to do a Silver Age reread as, apart from you know, the, the purposes of talking about it on the podcast and enjoying this excellent reading club. And this second half is the most I've had to question that because it's kind of like, these aren't, I don't know. It's like, you can find value in any Marvel comic. If you've got the right mindset, you know what I mean? Um, like if you're just kind of like, all right, I'm just going to take this on its merits. There's going to be something fun, mm-hmm. but uh, this yeah. second half, there's just, there's not a lot that's stuck. And a, a lot was actually like, felt like genuine regression, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is like, I don't want people to walk away thinking, Oh, you know, he's complaining about this. Where were these complaints during 1962 when the, the stories were obviously that much more simple and not that fleshed out? But I'm, I'm trying to judge it on a curve a bit of, like, judge it against what I've seen them do so far. And I've seen their quality rise and that you're like, regression is the perfect word. Like, this just, a yeah. lot of it feels like a step back. And we'll, we'll get into the details. For sure. Because even once we get into the details, like, there are some really cool things to celebrate. That we'll mm-hmm. talk about. I'm just going to foreshadow, like Jim Steranko entering the picture on Strange Tales as oh, an we're artist. Gonna have, we're going to have a, a showdown about that, I guess, because like. Oh, I, I suspect I understand where. I, I actually think we'll be more on the same page than you think, but let, okay. let's I not spoil I, too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, I'll get us started with Fantastic Four number 62. So this one starts out uh, Ben Grimm, Sue Storm, Johnny Storm are panicking because Reed is lost in the negative zone. Again, which we saw in This Man, This Monster. And right. in 61, basically the Sandman showed up and started attacking all of them. And in the ensuing fight, Reed Richards accidentally like transported himself to the negative zone. I wrote down here, it's it's really astounding how frequently the Sandman shows up yeah. as like a big player in Fantastic Four. Yeah, well, I guess we, I can talk about it right now. He doesn't, sh- I don't know if he shows up. 
yeah, he, he's here in the end of this issue and the next one. He's got this, like, weird thing going on where he's not, like... <laughs> he, his whole deal is usually he's, like, an escaped convict who's kind of this gruff guy who has these sand powers. Now he's showing up as, like, a Fantastic Four villain who's got this big, dumb costume and all these science powers. Like, he, he wears a belt, like belt full of different chemicals like a utility belt yeah and he's doing all these wacky things and it feels like it's not that fun like i like flint marco as the wait am i right flint marco yeah you got it the attempts to upgrade the upgrade sandman's costume are are totally like doomed from the start they do not work no. they look really really bad i i wrote down like is this the worst costume change that we've seen so far i think that it is yeah he, he has like a really simple i mean i don't know if call it a costume he just has that what like green and white striped shirt and khakis he's got like a civilian his <laughs> civilian clothes are his best quote-unquote costume right yeah and he looks good he just looks like kind of a, a tough guy but here this costume is like why would he wear the eh, yeah um so everyone's freaking out trying to get reed out of the negative zone when crystal from the inhumans finally the inhumans are free of their city her and lockjaw everyone's favorite marvel uh, hero at this time and yes he is a hero um certainly everyone's favorite inhuman yeah he's great uh there's this two-page photo collage that we've seen before but it's got reed richards being like a cartoon drawing of reed richards mixed in with the photos which is really cool showing him in this huge vast space scape uh, that i really like and is really affecting for like reed is kind of lost in space this is kind of weird though is the negative in the negative zone can you breathe in space because he seems fine just floating through space <laughs> in the negative zone here. And it, it's you know, kind of a weird... I, I, I that's an that interesting much. question. It didn't distract me, but I thought it was a weird... It is odd, because he's like... I bet if you were gonna if you were going to no-prize it, it's like Reed took a serum that he developed so that he could breathe out there. Yeah. Because I don't think that should be just available to anyone. That said, I have seen people, specifically the Fantastic Four, like venture there and be able to breathe. So maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe... Weird. Anyway, so Crystal shows up, she asks for the details, they tell her. She takes Lockjaw, who transports her back to the Inhumans, and they ask Black Bolt for help, uh, who does another one of his little stances to indicate which of the Inhumans will go help. She comes back with Triton, who's the, like, swamp, or creature from the Black Lagoon-looking Inhuman, which everyone's surprised by, like, how will he help? And the explanation is so weird, it's like, yeah, Triton is a master of navigating the ocean, and what is space but one big empty ocean mm -hmm. so he'll he's the he's the man for the job like yeah that doesn't what doesn't make sense again no. <laughs> so but basically he jumps into space and swims through oh no he doesn't swim through space he's got even dumber i would have liked it more if he swam through space he has a gun that's like an air gun it's a pistol that he just fires and it like <laughs> propels him in the opposite direction and helps him fly completely it's, negating his his like strength <laughs> that right they were, yeah, that they were touting so yeah well, no totally no no sure it's about like for. his his skill at navigating a big open space that's all like it's it wasn't about specifically swimming, swimming. <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> anyway he goes out to the negative zone meanwhile there's some other race of aliens flying by on a spaceship and they are talking about the, this like unstoppable creature that they can't destroy and the best they can do is just banish him to this faraway planet and they like, they go and they just drop him and like latch him to an asteroid and be like, well, th this will take care of him. And they float off ha just by happenstance. That's the same asteroid Reed Richards is hanging on to. Um, Triton flies out to space, grabs Reed Richards, 
and flies back, rescuing him. Meanwhile, this creature that was banished and latched onto this asteroid sneaks through as well, and we get a first look at him, and it's Blastar. It's <laughs> a good name. He looks like a, like a lion and a gorilla had a baby. Yeah. Like, he's, his design's not too bad. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. It's just like he's a gorilla floating in space who can can create explosions from his fingertips for yeah. a reason. Yeah, it's it's fine. Uh I mean what I like about this issue is it it develops um it develops life in the negative zone, which is sure. important yeah. and is going to, to continue play in the Marvel universe, you know, as we continue in Fantastic Four number sixty three. Obviously we'll see what Blastar the Living Bomb Burst is like. Um so I, I like <laughs> that part of it. I also it's interesting to me, like Reed's trapped in the negative zone. And you get this sequence of Sue, Johnny, Ben, all fawning over Reed and his impending peril. And it's this great tragedy, which makes sense as like a family unit. But the way they're talking about him, Ben literally says the greatest man we've ever known. And I had to ask, like, does Reed deserve this love and admiration? (laughs) You know? I don't know if it's fair to ask that question now. Let's wait till we we talk about him and Fantastic Four 65. And then we'll answer that question. (laughs) Yeah. No, I just think it's interesting to think of like... I think of them as so much a unit at this point. Um, even like, because if you if you just counted all the stuff that the Fantastic Four has done to this point, they've saved the universe on at least one occasion. They've saved Earth on a few, mm-hmm. right? So like, I, I I don't know. I feel like I divvy up that credit pretty fairly. They all seem to be like giving it a hundred percent to Reed, which is an interesting dynamic to me. I still think Stan Lee frames it that way, right? That like Stan or. Not- Stanley is the team, the head of Fantastic Four. That uh, that Mister Fantastic is like the head of the team, and everybody else is the team players. Like he's the coach, yeah, and everyone else are the players who to be bossed around. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, which I don't like as much as them being kind of equal partners. And yeah. it will be more interesting when I mean they've done a little bit of that. Like Ben and Johnny Storm are sick of being bossed around by Reed, so they <laughs> decide to quit, and mm-hmm. Reed proves to them that like he needs to be leader. Because they don't, I don't know, they fall apart without him. Yeah. I like this issue also, but this is, it's starting to tiptoe around being very comic booky in that way of just like, there's just so much stuff going on, the like unrelated plots that are all just kind of coming in willy nilly. Like we've got the negative zone, we've got this other creature from the negative zone, uh, this other race, we've got Blastar, the Inhumans are getting folded in. It's becoming like just a little crowded in this issue and then Blastar shows up and starts teaming up with Sandman like just so much is happening and it feels right. like when these superhero comics are at their worst they just try to cram in as many different ideas and characters whether or not they form like a cohesive story or not and I don't think this is a complete failure but it's starting to like starting to show some of the stuff I'm going to be complaining about later in the year well and I guess like yeah that's an interesting line of thinking I the question I would have with FF62 and 63 is like what is the heart of this story like yeah, what is what yeah, is the yeah. central thing that I'm supposed to care about or the character dynamics to really focus on? And we don't really get that. It's kind of and I don't know. Like that's maybe overthinking it. But no, no, no. I think you're I think you're onto something because at first it's you know it's Reed and it's like their uh, you know Sue and Johnny and Ben's emotions about Reed being lost and them not trying not wanting to give up but not seeing any way out of that Reed is about to be killed. But then it just switches into like. There's an all-powerful monkey on the loose, you know, and it's like that that becomes the main focus. Yeah, so let's get into that. So Blastar shows up in Fantastic Four number 63. Uh, it's an issue by Stan Jack, Sinet, 
Josinette and Rosen, Sam Rosen. And uh, I have a lot of affection for Blastar. Uh, it stems from later appearances. Uh, the 90s Fantastic Four animated series is one that stands out to me, as well as his role in the 2000s Marvel Cosmic event, Annihilation. Mm-hmm. So I won't spoil any of that, but he's a character that I like who sticks around. And uh, I have to say, like, that's part of why I included these issues originally. Mm-hmm. And he kind of disappoints, um, I think, as a villain. He's, I think he's at his best when he's kind of like comically, to use a bad pun, bombastic. Mm. And uh, he's not quite that here. He's just like kind of a classic alien invader who yeah. wants to yeah. take over whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know why he teams up with Sandman. It's like Sandman's weird just dynamic. there. It's like yeah. the weirdest support. He's like he's just there. He's trying out a weird new. Co- he's going through a strange phase. <laughs> and every time he tries to help Blastar, Blastar is just mad at him for like stealing his uh, his victory, his honor, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems kind of strange. So they they get into a big fight with the Fantastic Four. He's kind of unstoppable. There's a moment here where he just socks Johnny Storm and knocks him out, and his flame goes out. And the thing runs up to fight him and says, Big deal, so you managed to snuff out Torch's flame. A kid in kindergarten with a secondhand water gun could have done the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is a very funny thing for the thing to say, like, Johnny Storm just on the ground. They're just, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that the banter never stops for them. Um, I, I actually thought during this fight, like, I think Stan and Jack actually made Sue more useless. Which was a weird, yeah. There's a, a weird development this year. When I'm talking about regression, that's definitely one that stands out. Like yeah. Sue, it's like she doesn't do anything um, yeah. to the point that later yeah. in Fantastic Four number sixty five, I was genuinely like taking note um, when Sue actually like has a page where she takes action. It stands yeah. out because it just doesn't happen anymore. Which is weird because she was actually developing these force field powers and and interacting like as a hero more. Right. To this point. Yeah. 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 So I thought that was odd. And then the other thing I noted is, so they take out Blastar and they take him out. Uh, Reed actually punches him out. And the shot of Reed's muscles expanding after he punches out Blastar is hilarious. Like Reed has not been a large muscle bound dude to this point, nor should he be in my imagination. But Reed is stretching his biceps to appear super strong in these. I refuse to believe he's actually weightlifting. (laughs) Yeah. He's just oh, affecting yeah, he's just, yeah, the, just the, the rubber expanding. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty comical. Well, the thing is, like, he doesn't just punch out Blastar because the thing can't even beat him. He develops, like, anti-Blastar technology. He goes to his lab and just creates a helmet that, like, snuffs out Blastar's powers and puts it on his head. And he's like, this helmet exactly nullifies Blastar's exact powers, and that's how we'll defeat him. And it's it's so boring. You can't, like, just keep doing this, like... Oh, here's a supervillain with a specific set of powers. How will we ever stop him? Well, I'll just create something that stops him. It's a totally like like a non-conclusion to this. Well, it's not it's not exciting at this point because we've seen we've seen Reed do this. I, I know, don't it's... I don't mind if it seems like some clever subversion of like I didn't mind the Doctor Doom thing with the uh, that glider because that was part of tricking right. him. It wasn't just like oh, I created a glider that hits him and nullifies his cosmic powers, and then it's just an easy solution. And, and that it can't just be a cheat code. Because then every issue exactly. ends that way. Yeah. yeah, and when they do that, it just feels so like so boring. Not that I was that invested in this fight anyway. <clears throat> well, that's part of the problem too. So okay, so that's those two issues. I think um, one one question I really want to look at, and we've got a couple more Fantastic Four we're going to talk about, is we've got um, really like Jan or Jan uh, Stan and Jack more or less stay on Fantastic Four through almost a hundred issues, and 
I wonder, like, have we seen the best? Have Did we peak with, I think, that Silver Surfer and Doctor Doom story at the start of the year? Yeah. And through the rest of the year, like, are we on the downslope? Because this, this starts to feel like it. So I'll be curious as we go through 68 and 69 to hear your thoughts on, like, do we ever start coming back up to the to quite the same degree? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's a... Uh... <laughs> no, it's really a bummer. I think these are the two best issues we read this year or for this episode, really? which is like, yeah, if that's I'm, a bad if sign. I'm, <laughs> if I'm not, yeah, I know. <laughs> strapping folks. I mean, I've got some interesting thoughts about stuff, but yeah, I, I if I remember correctly, this was like the high point of this year for me. Okay. Uh, all, right. all right, so let, let's move. It's all down here. It's all downhill from here, folks. <laughs> Strange Tales one fifty three. Uh, it's this is the Nick Fury story by Jim Steranko. So you've got, yeah, Jim Steranko, you said it right. He's, uh, what is he doing here? He's, so it's, it's Jack Kirby layouts mm-hmm. and then Steranko actually filling in the details. And then you've got Stanley, the manly editing, Roy Thomas writing. So you've got a, it, the reason I find it kind of interesting credits wise is you've got a real changing the guard for who the new players of Marvel are going to be. Right. Uh, and Steranko in particular, like his progression literally over the course of three issues is pretty fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It does get better over the. <laughs> the next three but i really i think i had it built up on my head because i've seen some of the stuff steranko does later in like nick fury solo series yeah and that's really cool stuff this i hated like this was some of my least favorite art we've read now you're talking about like the whole sequence or you're talking about 153 specifically 153 four and five these three issues four and five i think have some pretty cool stuff so i guess let's talk about them as a unit there's yeah there's a few like moments these panels where i'm like oh that's an interesting idea that i've seen him play out like he does a lot of those um he does a lot of interesting color work with like Mm -hmm. negative negative and positive coloring um or uh like emanating circles right and then having different color bands in those but like these panels are so packed in together there's no real cohesive flow of action and the dialogue bubbles are just there's way too much text on these pages it it actually was like very difficult to just read like i felt like i just couldn't focus my eyes on so, these, these panels like yeah so Storenko. so here okay here's the progression like 153 he's basically filling in kirby layouts yeah. and i think inventive use of panel uh is not happening because it's a kirby style it's it's stuff we're intimately familiar with at this point yeah 154 you get a fully drawn Steranko unit. So this this one's plotted and drawn by Steranko. Okay, so his credits are already moving up, and 154, you start to get some really cool stuff. I think visually, um, as far as landscape goes, which we'll go into the details in a second. By 155, he's writing and drawing, mm-hmm. and Jim Steranko's writing for me is like almost unreadable. I mean, it is take, yeah. take Stanley's verbose nature <laughs> and amp it up to 11. And you've got Steranko writing. You know? My note says, they talk way too much, but don't say anything. It's yeah. just like the, the panels are just bursting with text. And it's all this like pseudo technological jargon where they're, they're constantly referencing all these different technologies, you know, ESP rays and gamma orbits. And like, they're just constantly throwing out these word salads of tech, mm-hmm. tech terms that it just is exhausting because nothing means anything. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, like... Nick Fury's constant gruff nature is just like he takes three sentences to say something that he could say in five words mm-hmm. all the time. Every time he has to say something, it's this long-winded phrase, and it's just like it's exhausting. It is. It's if you actually read every word in this issue, like you deserve 
you deserve your no prize. You deserve us <laughs> mailing you something because it's it's truly not fun. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. There's way too much. I love just scanning these though and and getting a sense of the plot, but most importantly, seeing the idea. So like, all right, in 154, it's a story called Beware the Deadly Dreadnought. And in the first two pages, Jim Steranko out Kirby's Kirby. Like he just outdoes him at what Kirby's best at. The first page, there's all this angled machinery, a really cool camera, um, like perspective. You know, it's kind of shooting up the characters. And again, like you've got all this Kirby style machinery in the background. And then on the second page, you get one of those classic uh, schematics of like the shield helicarrier where there's, you know, a gazillion rooms all laid out and all the different functionality. So it's like, it's these cool little visual tricks, I think, that he's employing. Um, a couple other ones I really want to call out where he's playing with panel layouts. On page five of this issue, you get the shield and Hydra logo split by like a lightning panel border. Oh, and yeah, I just, that was cool. That's just stuff we didn't see yet. I, you know, it's easy to take for granted because modern comics play with panel borders a lot. This stuff happens all the time. We haven't seen this in Marvel Comics, uh, to my knowledge. And something Storenko does frequently that I think is is visually inventive and it keeps the page interesting um and it, and it keeps like exploring what can we do with this medium and it moves it forward yeah i think i just was like too exhausted by how busy all this was to really appreciate anything like pull anything out and say like oh well this panel at least is cool because just overall the effect didn't work for me and i i think if i'd been reading these at a different point yeah. in like my comics reading experience i would say these are so boring I do not like these stories. And I think now, I don't know, it's just like, it's because the plot matters less to me because I've absorbed a lot of it. Yeah. And I'm just kind of looking for interesting developments in comic book history. I've also read like a lot of Storenko appreciation things. So it's, it's seeing like this guy comes onto the scene kind of out of nowhere and suddenly he's writing and drawing Nick Fury solo stories and I really like, again, because you talked about, I think in a variant cover episode, like getting new talent and getting new perspectives in the Marvel Universe is something right. we haven't really engaged with yet. And Storenko to me is the first real like splash of water on the face that they I think had. I would agree with that, which is why, <laughs> because I I've, I've, I specifically remember some of the stuff he's going to do not that long from now, because yeah. Nick Fury's solo series starts in the next couple of years. Uh, and I really like that. The art in that is immediately very striking and really unique and totally singular to him i just i wasn't feeling it here like it just it didn't work for me and when we get into 50 157 and 158 it didn't bother me quite so much and so, you I, know those stories i, I like a little more i like the stories and i just overall i thought it was like everything was a little bit tighter for me not great but not like these were just tough to read anyway let, let's let's talk about the the actual story that's happening well so actually with with what you just said in mind i mean do you want to do you want to just jump to 157, 158? Because I really – I don't have a lot of story notes. I have a lot of art notes. So if you have story notes you want to talk about with those, absolutely, let's do it. But otherwise, I would just go straight to 157, 158 because those are the story notes that to me like really matter. Okay. Well, in, in 153 through 155, it's basically just establishing a couple things that the supreme leader of Hydra who died, his daughter defects over to S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. So she's like – she's on board with S.H.I.E.L.D. trying to work against Hydra. Meanwhile, the new – grand supreme leader of hydra has like put on a new face basically gotten plastic surgery to look like a shield member and is snuck onto the shield helicarrier and yeah. is trying to sabotage it from the inside it's interesting enough like it, it's okay i i like some of the ideas of you know just that like hydra 
you can't trust anyone. Like Hydra could be anyone. And even people you know intimately, if it's not them, it might be someone masked as them or even like morph their face to be them. So I, I like that idea of, uh, of Hydra and S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't think it's the best execution. It's definitely something that has that has stayed with Marvel. And, right. and certainly yeah. even even in the MCU, just look at the Winter Soldier. Right. That right. concept, just just the spy games. I mean, I, yeah. I think it's not it's not unique to the Marvel landscape, no. but this is their version of it. Yeah. And um, in all of these issues, there's one scene I really liked which was Nick Fury going to his version of, um, like, his Q, his James Bond Q, and mm. getting all oh, of his, yeah. his new equipment, and, like, one at a time getting the pieces handed to him. That that was, like, very fun to the, the teenage boy and me of just, like, cataloging the, the buttons on your suits. Your suit is actually, uh, like, oxygen pills, and... The right uh, cuff link is an ionic degenerator. <laughs> right, and then it's a really good joke of, um, he's like, oh... Great, I love all this. What's the belt do? Holds up your pants. <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> right. That was like a funny joke, and then it becomes a really fun callback later. The only other thing I'd say is 153 is where we see... We didn't, we're didn't. we not going to talk about the Doctor Strange story. It's just okay. But Marie Severin is drawing the artwork there, and I really like her art. Like yeah. it's, not, it's not Ditko. It's not as good as Ditko, but she's doing a really good job, and the first, like role or the first female creative uh, role we've seen filled at marvel so far i think yeah marie severin's a big deal i mean her getting getting this work is a big deal and she does like a really nice job i don't think the drop off from ditko is particularly notable frankly um i think ditko did a lot more with like alternate dimension mindscapes than severin does that's the biggest thing you see is kind of kind of missing and different you don't see that that, but she develops style. it, I think, as she goes, because we're we're going to talk about a little more strange in the next yeah. couple issues, and like you know, she's uh she's doing some big cosmic stuff as well. So yeah, that's yeah. a good call up. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Strange Tales number one fifty seven. Um, this is how you open a comic. I love this opening page. It's big crisis, literally the word crisis, splash letters, <laughs> and Baron von Strucker pointing at the pointing at the crisis and all the destruction behind him and you know espousing something to the effect of they've got Nick Fury captured and they're about to kill him. Right. Um it's a Stan Lee on edits, Jim Starenko written and drawn and Sam Rosen as the letter and one thing that occurred to me here and not to just fawn over the man this entire <laughs> podcast but I mean just the concept of the writer artist in yeah, 1967. Yeah, sure. That's pretty wild and man did that have to be infuriating. To Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby. <laughs> yeah. And it went to Jim S. Yeah, that's interesting that like that Stanley was not taking writer credit even if he was not actually scripting them. Mm-hmm. Like, which is because there's that whole thing of like, how much did he really write of those versus because I mean I guess it came down to plotting. He's Stanley's name is still in here, but mm-hmm. oh his name's his name never leaves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll we'll talk about that a little too. And, and Strucker, just for some context, is like a World War II era Captain America villain. Who I really liked, uh, or not Captain America? He was a Nick Fury in the Howling Commandos. Nick Fury Commandos, yeah, villain, and he was he was the first like named villain for the the Howling Commandos. Like before Baron Strucker, it was all just like Nazis in general, and you know whatever Nazi threat rose up this issue, he became the first like reoccurring threat with a personality, um, right. and he was a really good villain there. And now he's shown up in the Silver Age. Yeah, bringing him back is a good idea. Um, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, he shows up as the head of Hydra. He gives the villains, I, th- I think he gives like Hydra as a unit some weight because he's got a history in Marvel mm-hmm. and because he's got, you know, this personality. He also does, in fact, a point of much contention over the past 
you know, several years, but he gives Hydra Nazi connections. They are run now by a former Nazi. Does it ever go away? Like a guy who was a Nazi in World War II and is now still that man. Yeah, so you get BVS here as the big bad. Again, he also gives... (laughs) I mean, Batman versus Superman, the only good superhero movie. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) That's the one. Wow. Leaves out Suicide Squad. How dare you? Um, So Jim Steranko, we talked about this already. I wrote his style overshadows his plot significantly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that that remains true. Um, That said, you get Fury on Hydra Island versus Baron Von Strucker. And that is a situation I quite like. That is a plot that I'm into because... Strucker is is the Fury arch nemesis. So those two going at it to me like has some import and weight that yeah. him just yeah. fighting a generic Hydra boss doesn't have. Yeah, and I think it generally worked pretty well here. Strucker at the end shows up, it shows off his new technology, the Satan Claw. Satan Claw. Yeah, which is just like a big red hand uh, that's strong and I don't know blast rays or something. It's not that interesting, except for the name. The name's super evocative. It's a great name and kind of a disappointing. Like reality, like it's kind of just red and electrical, whereas you yeah, want it to be yeah, like yeah. Hellboy's red right hand of doom or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, the other thing here is he's like Nick Fury gets help from Agent Agent 17. I think that's the number. Is that Laura, the Hydra woman? Oh, yeah. No, I thought this was where like. Oh, no, never mind. That's a Captain America thing later. I'm confusing my, <laughs> my blonde damsels in distress, which they're pretty interchangeable at this point. Uh, yeah, so moving into 158, Fury and Strucker are in the middle of this fight. It's one of these, like, Fury is down, and he's fighting with every last ounce of his willpower. He's using all of his different <laughs> gizmos and gadgets. And this is this is where I thought I was really charmed by this. He's all out of his, uh, you know, all, all out of his weaponry. And yeah. he takes his belt off and just kind of lassos around the claw and pulls it off, which is such a funny callback to, like, he has all this hypertech but what saves the day is, you know, it's just a belt to hold your pants up. It's an all-time great takedown. And what I wouldn't give for an Infinity War cut where Fury is with the heroes when Thanos is like comatose with Mantis on his <laughs> back. whips off his and belt. And belts off the Infinity Gauntlet. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, then there's this fun moment where um, a bunch of Hydra soldiers burst into the room. And there's two Baron Von Struckers fighting. And both of them are like... It's him, not me. No, I'm the real Baron Von Strucker. And uh, and they jump up on one of them, pull his mask off to reveal Nick Fury. Baron Von Strucker gets away in the submarine with the prisoner. And then he pulls off his mask to reveal he's the real Nick Fury. And it's this whole thing where he like stuck Baron Von Strucker in the like face rearranging machine to make yeah. him look like Nick Fury. And then put another mask on top of his face like he double masked him. Which is, it's very funny and cheesy, but it like, it works. It's explained succinctly enough that. I think that's kinda, pretty entertaining. Yeah, that was Sort good. of silly spy stuff. That, yeah. that like, is it silly? Yes. Does it kind of work with the plot? Yeah, it does. At least it sticks with one thing. That's like the yeah. difference between this and the last three is those last three issues just were like flitting between one spy tech idea and the next. And mm-hmm. it was just, it was so convoluted and so full of text <laughs> that you never like felt like I was following one cohesive story. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think those issues are actually fun. Let's talk about the the B stories here a little bit because yeah. the Doctor Strange parts of these. So Doctor Strange running into backup to Fury throughout all these strange tales. And uh, the B story in 157 is called The End of the Ancient One. It's by Stanley the Manly, Marie Severin, Herb Trimp on inks, and Artie Semek on letters. 
Yep. And uh, we have, it opens with Doctor Strange and the Ancient One fighting the sort of extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional demon Zom. Z-O-M. This, he is the most absurd-looking creature that we've seen, bar none. Like, Zom's no weird exaggeration. Looking. He's the weirdest-looking thing. I, I immediately had to, like, t- take a screenshot of this and send it to my wife and just be like, look at this, this weird... So here's how I would describe him. I would describe him as a chicken nugget with long legs and a ponytail. Yeah. Oh, and drills for hands. (laughs) He's got like thimbles on the end of his hands. And he's real fleshy. Like he's just like real pink flesh. (laughs) Too fleshy somewhere. Yeah, he's got a lot of skin exposed. It's really, he's really hard to look at. Yeah. So, but he is like super powerful. We get the ancient one has to sacrifice himself in order for Doctor Strange to finally take him down. Um, he, of course, tells him that Zom's weakness is his weird man ponytail, which <laughs> his I told you that. Yeah. Um, and then Zom says during this time, you know, nothing can halt the coming of the Living Tribunal, which, if you're a fan of Marvel Cosmic, may pique your interest because Living Tribunal, huge Marvel Cosmic player. And then who should show up at the end of this issue? It is, in fact, the Living Tribunal who says Earth must be destroyed. That is his final judgment. So, so the, the, we get the some good Living Tribunal. Yeah, Living Tribunal is pretty cool looking. He's got like four faces covered in this cloth. He kind of looks like, if you watch Adventure Time, he looks like Grob Glob, was it Grob Gob Glob Grod? I think the, that's the like the deity in, uh, okay. in Adventure Time. He also, yeah. I mean, it's also Brahma from like hinduism is like the four-faced four-faced god but different yeah, uh, you, you know one's covered one's not one's smiling one's angry you know that sort of thing yeah yeah it's cool i <laughs> i also i wanted to point out a line when dr strange finally jumps up on zom's head and just slices his ponytail off yeah. there's a really good line though the forelock is mine it has cost me most dearly <laughs> <laughs> which is that his cloak gets burnt up uh yeah. and like half burnt which is becomes a weird Weirdly important detail later on. Well, I mean, Strange loses the Ancient One and his cloak in the span of a single fight. It's pretty yeah. bad for it's pretty bad for old Steve. Yeah, yeah. And then in one fifty eight, the Living Tribunal shows up and he's saying he's got to destroy Earth because <sighs> this is complicated. It's because of Doctor Strange, right? I mean, it's because of Doctor Strange's actions. Yeah, there's a huge cosmic universe out there, and Earth is just one little you know one little speck of sand in it. But everything is balanced magically, like by these cosmic forces, everything is in perfect balance. And they, what is it like by cutting off Zom's forelock? Oh no, by releasing Zom, because Doctor Strange was the one who like released Zom initially for some other reason. By releasing Zom, he's like unbalanced magic so that like evil magic is now flowing free over the earth. You get this cool montage of a bunch of dime store magicians on earth, like kind of people messing around with the dark arts. All of a sudden getting incredibly superpowered they, they all of a sudden have tapped into some well of dark magic and the living tribunal basically says oh well you know we can't we can't allow this kind of magic to overrun the rest of the universe just because yeah. you've unbalanced things here so we're just going to destroy everything and this is your fault yeah i really like that it's i really like that it's dr strange's fault yeah i, I yeah, quite appreciate that he um that he gets called out <laughs> for his actions and that you know magic has a cost i i would like it more if it wasn't like if, if everything didn't hinge on, like, you let this weird, I don't know, plucked chicken with a long ponytail loose, and that's what has unbalanced. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that's I'm the not part sure Zom lives like, up to oh, his status. Yeah, to, right. Yeah. Like, that doesn't land for me. But, the, yeah, that removed. <laughs> right. Zom was somehow cooler. Um, it's, a, it's a good idea. 
Although, then it's immediately undercut by Doctor Strange saying, like, but wait, let me prove that I have the power, <laughs> I have the power to, you know, rebalance magic. Yeah. I will restore my cloak. It's kind of burnt up. I'll make it not so burnt up. And he's like, huh, you'll never be able to do that. And Doctor Strange just like, all right. And then he does it. And <laughs> it's nothing. It's just, it's the it's, weirdest. It's one of the weirder instances of Strange resorting to like magician's parlor tricks to impress someone. And he's impressing this cosmic embodiment of judgment. And the guy is immediately like, oh, wow. All right. I guess you are serious. Like you can restore. It's like that cloak is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all burnt up, but now it's not. Yeah. I, guess, I guess I should take you seriously. Which yeah. It, the, it, it clashes with the way the Living Tribunal's been talking. Mm-hmm. Which has been like this uh, kind of Galactus way of looking at Earth as like, oh, you know, we're, we're above caring about petty mortals and their concerns. And, you know, what, what you do is no concern to us. We just need to keep things in balance. <laughs> Until Doctor Strange is like, I can fix a cloak. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's bonkers, but yeah. I guess that convinces the Living Tribunal to give them a give him a shot to basically go clean up Earth, Earth on his own, and that they'll be watching. Yeah, so the final credits here: Marie Severin doing some really cool multiple dimensions artwork, yeah. and again, really holding her own as Doctor Strange artist, and um, a great Living Tribunal design that will that will stick around for a good long while in a cosmic entity that will, to my knowledge, not be just. I, I like the idea of him being continually impressed by, like, cloaks and tapestries from here on out, but I think this is the one and only instance. It's just... Uh, I, I can't understate how ridiculous it is. It's it's like someone coming up, like, I don't know, some supervillain showing up in your village and just saying, like, we're going to execute every person in this village. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. And then you pull a quarter out from behind his ear. And he's like, oh, all right, well. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's... it's you know, the way somebody would look at this story today, I think, when there's a lot more value on, like, concept or hook, they'd say, okay, Zom just released all this dark mystical energy. We've now got the next 10 issues minimum of Strange making a pack with the Living Tribunal to hunt down these dark sorcerers. Yeah, that's and what set it feels right, like. The cosmic imbalance. But yeah. they don't do that. They do cloak tricks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, I like, I like the idea of him having to go through some trial to prove that he's worthy of rebalancing things. But then the actual, like, trial is just so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. So that's going to take us to the next issue we read. Uh, this is Tales to Astonish, number 93. Can I just say, I'm going to be so happy when we get out of, like, Tales territory. When all these Tales comics get squashed and we start getting like <laughs> specific specifically tales you just well it's also like. th- yeah well i mean tales you're talking about like the old I, style you're talking about like the silver age legacy titles right and like when you get out of that yeah tales of suspense tales to astonish strange tales yeah. like they're, they're just hard I, I can't remember which one captain america's in unless i'm looking i don't remember which one hulk's in unless i'm you know like and it will well, just Hulk's be better tales when... to astonish we're gonna talk about cap's tales of suspense yeah well because i mean i'm looking at my notes like i know now but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, strange tales i remember because it's got the word strange in it but. that one's easier right yeah for yeah. sure we i've complained um, about this before this is <laughs> the second time well, we're talking about I, I do think it actually signals a sea change when you do get out of that era like you once you start to get to okay no incredible hulk's in lo and behold the incredible hulk i mean it does signal like a changing of the card america nick fury iron man they're all gonna have their solo series not long yeah we're not far from that right yeah so in, in TTA number 93, Stan Lee, Marie Severin, Frank Giacoya, and Artie Simek, uh, you, you know what happens in this one? Uh, the Hulk and Silver Surfer fight. Okay, yep. do you, you want to know what... 
the entirety of my notes for this issue yep. are uh they fight that's all i wrote about this because <laughs> yeah it's a good fight like it's kind of interesting yeah, it's it's, it, it's a real b plus of a fight i'd say oh for I, this, I wouldn't for, even go that high for this um, era i'd say it's like, a solid b it's a solid yeah, okay b, I think. all right yeah um surfer sees hulk you know so the hulk and silver server are fighting uh silver server kind of flies off and then he sees hulk hounded by police and he's kind of like well that's unfair and i've been you know misunderstood by humanity and this and that so he rescues the hulk hulk doesn't like that they fight again then the hulk's mad the surfer won't take him into space he doesn't (laughs) believe that the surfer can't which i i actually the one thing i really like about this one is i really like the hulk's desire to just go and be left alone in space because Uh that's going to be very meaningful (laughs) for the character in future stories right yeah, just I, I haven't read those issues from the 2000s, but I mm-hmm. know that like that becomes a thing. That's just it's interesting the like the way his character has developed that that would be something he'd be expressing in 1967. I but think. he might just be happy like wandering around the moon by himself. Yeah, <laughs> which is that's a very like sad and kind of funny image of just the Hulk just like walking around an empty moon for all eternity. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think as like as Hulk stories go, there is an interesting dynamic of okay, is he truly after isolation? Or is he after being understood and not just pure isolation? And or does he want to destroy everything? Right. So like this is the the decisions writers have to figure out is like what does this guy, what does this monster, quote unquote, actually want? Right. Um, and here you start to get isolation really hit, I think, a little more heavily. They have a nice moment where the Silver Surfer is looking at like an unconscious Hulk and kind of takes pity on him and it's like, oh well, with my cosmic powers I'll undo this and basically turn him back into a man. And just mm-hmm. at that moment Hulk wakes up and like takes a swing at him and the Silver Surfer just flies off. Which is like a nice little tragic moment of he was so close to, you know, just having this curse lifted off of him. Yeah, and if Surfer and Hulk seem like kind of a random pairing, uh they are a duo that actually will have like a pretty long term relationship as far as I don't know, like supportive heroes of the of each other, and they'll also be, um, you know, a big part of like the Marvel Defenders lineup once we get to that team in the seventies. So these two mm. characters do actually have quite a connection through Marvel Comics history. Oh, interesting. Uh, the B stories name are fighting a monster, and I have nothing more to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I I skimmed it. Yeah. Next is Uncanny X Men number thirty five. So we skipped over the inclusion or the introduction of Banshee. But I'll be throwing him in extra issues just for that first one. But like, will you be doing a Scottish or Irish accent the entire time? I will not. Uh, <laughs> oh no, you're right. <laughs> will you be writing in a Scottish or Irish accent? Never mind. Doing like the Chris Claremont like unreadable accents. Yeah, yeah just boil every fifth word. Oh, God, it's awful. Um, so Banshee <sighs> is he the lamest X Men? Like he Ooh. he's up there. Like with the, I, I actually like his character a lot. Basically, because he he just quickly he just stops being a super or superhero and just reverts back to civilian life, and he's like a nice guy. So like I like once he becomes like like retired hero Banshee. Yeah, he becomes pretty instant, and this is like Claremont era stuff. But like, yeah, he then becomes almost instantly interesting because he's in a phase of his life that no one else is in in the heroic community. Right, right. Um, it's not really a character they have, you know, in the X Men. So I my mind goes pretty quickly to Angel, is probably the most boring x-man yeah i think I, although in this period he's like the fun one so i don't know if that even holds yeah so banshee he screams um that's his thing he's just he lets out big screams he can you know blast things with sound the weirdest use of this is that he like he can fly because he 
what screams at the ground and <laughs> screams his way into the sky. Yeah, which I I think is <laughs> a very funny uh, like audio. Uh, the piece of audio that you'd hear of just like you're standing in town and you just hear like ah, <laughs> as someone flies <laughs> flies over i wish i wish more you. art of banshee had him like his mouth had Scream. to be pointed at the ground you know yeah because it doesn't really show it that way but yeah no. like he has to be like looking down and yeah anyway so he was brainwashed pre- previously by this super villain ensemble called factor three who we don't have to worry about i don't think they ever become a thing but he's on the look for them, and he like he runs into a spider robot that they have sent, mm-hmm. uh, and he tries to flee it, and he he sends a message back to the X Men just as he's losing consciousness and getting kidnapped. Of beware the spider, Ugh, and then you know, loses consciousness. So the X Men just like here beware the spider. Meanwhile, Peter Parker is taking his his motorcycle out for a ride in like Westchester County. Out in the woods. Which is kind of like wild he has that time. But yeah, good for you, Pete. Take some time. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. Enjoy the woods. I, I love Peter Parker's motorcycle. I think that's such a fun detail. Yeah. <laughs> that like, yeah, he's just like a 20-year-old guy. Like, he almost loves jetting around on his motorcycle more than he does web-slinging, which is pretty funny. Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, he's out in the woods and there's like an abandoned castle or farm or something. I don't remember exactly. But this, this <laughs> spider, <laughs> an abandoned building, this spider robot drone thing that factor three this these supervillains have been sending to the x-men shows up and spider-man like fights it and disables it basically mm-hmm. like oh there's an evil robot here i'm gonna fight it the x-men show up just then because they're like tracking this thing and they see spider-man and they remember the warning of beware the spider and they're like well that's him <laughs> and it's just this classic like oh no one's gonna stop to talk so we're gonna have 10 pages of a fight like <laughs> no one will communicate yeah introductions in this time period are fights i mean that is the equivalent of a handshake oh yeah you're right like every time different superheroes meet they always have to fight the first time before they like learn to respect each other and you know yeah that's weird that's the reason point. i'm the reason i was thinking of it too is there's a moment in fantastic four annual number five which we're going to get to where yeah. black panther shows up and uh oh shoot i forget who medusa's with one of the inhumans they just immediately start fighting and medusa literally says like hey are we sure he's are we sure he doesn't just want to talk and i really appreciate (laughs) yeah (laughs) that she brings it up yeah who's the 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 karate chop guy oh Uh, karnak yeah yeah yeah, karnak i was gonna say kraken that's not right um kraken anyway this this whole thing it's fine it's like basically like hey do you want to see the x-men and spider-man fight well here you go and then yep. eventually Jean Grey just calls them and says, like, hey, you got the wrong guy. Here's where you got to go. And they're like, mm-hmm. the, the funniest detail is just how, like, annoyed Spider-Man is. After they leave, they're like, all right, sorry about that. Bye. And they take off. And he's just, like, he got knocked into a pond. So he's just, like, standing there dripping wet. Like, he just wanted to go out on a joyride. <laughs> but basically got, like, smacked around a little bit and thrown into the water. And he's just yeah. standing there sopping wet. Like, ah, come on. <laughs> you Poor Pete. It brings us to Fantastic Four number 65. So getting back in the gears of FF. Uh, this is Stan Jack, Joe Sinet, and Artie Smek. And uh, we get some Cree. We get the good old Cree showing up here. We've had a bunch of scrolls. Now we're going to get a little Cree development. Speaking of the Cree and scrolls, mm-hmm. how good was Captain Marvel, right? Now, the best. Oh, the bestest. Man, definitely the best MCU movie by far. Yep. Can you believe that... Brie Larson was a scrawl, not Carol Danvers. Brie Larson. Here's the thing: is I can I can feel the seething resentment 
of people who feel they've just been spoiled, and I can't even play along anymore. It's so hot. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. we're recording this before the movie came out. We have no idea. We haven't seen it. We're about to in uh, in four or five days here. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so the Supreme Intelligence, though, we do know uh, Annette Benning, right? That's her. She's going to be. Oh, is that right? See, I don't. I try to follow as few details as possible um, for casting and, and characters yeah. and these oh, sorts of things. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that much, but like I saw some article pop up like, we finally know who Annette Benning's character is. Yeah. No, now I'm actually furious with you. Thanks. Oh, Thanks for bad. ruining the movie. Yeah. That ruins it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it does open with Cree Supreme Intelligence telling the Fantastic Four that he knows what they've been doing. They had just taken down his Kree sentry in a previous issue, buried deep underneath the Earth. And I, I read the last issue just because I wanted to know what was up. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like a couple archaeologists dig up what was a Kree like, landing site. They had a ship crash, la- crash land, and there's a sentry, like a Kree sentry robot thing. Yeah. And the Fantastic Four went to rescue the archaeologists. And they beat up this robot. They didn't even disable it. They just like beat up the robot. <laughs> like they left the robot still standing there. <laughs> right. And, and which is that detail is kind of important because of how hugely overreactive the Kree are about this. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> like they didn't even disable the robot. They just fought it a little bit and then left. It actually speaks a lot to I think Kree arrogance. And so like the yeah. Kree are this very they're a advanced alien race in the marvel universe they have a lot of technology we're going to get lines here from so the supreme intelligence warns finesse for ronan the accusers coming and later ronan's going to tell the ff you know you're on this backwater planet in the you know off the reach of our galaxy the only reason we even know about you is is because you took down one of our sentries so basically they're like we don't even care but you touched our stuff yeah there's a moment where ronan like before he zaps to earth he's like I, I might not feel that this is the more, most important assignment, but I have to fulfill my duty. But then he gets to Earth and immediately like is treating this like this. He, he literally says, you are guilty of the most serious crime that may be committed against the Kree. And it's like, that is the most serious crime? Right. That, that's very strange. So, yeah, yeah they, all the Fantastic Four get this dream sent to them by the Supreme Intelligence, telling them that they're about to be judged by Ronan. It's not Ronan the Accuser, because that would be a cool name. It's... Ronan, the public accuser, <laughs> which makes it sound very bureaucratic. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and they talk, passed they, the bar a couple of years back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, another like kind of dumb detail. They're in the middle of uh, Fantastic Four, going about their business, just having their personal lives, and they all get like pulled into Ronan, the accuser's know, space to, uh, to uh, fight him. His cone of invulnerability. Thank you. Right. Yes. Exactly. And. Uh, and, you know, he starts, like, accusing them, and publicly accusing them. And Gosh, I, I, now that you say that out loud, I wish he was just publicly, like, he would get in crowds of people. And just right, yeah. Like, like, you he, said the nastiest thing about me at Susan's party. <laughs> or, or just, like, he draws them all in, and he looks around, and no one's there, and he's just like, yeah, just, just hold on a minute, I gotta... And then he just starts, like, popping other people in, just like random <laughs> civilians. Like, you guys got it. Right, yeah, I think this is good enough crowd. All right, you stand guilty of the most. Um, yeah. The, the thing he does, though, is once they're all there, they're all in their civvies. He, like, he uses his big weirdo hammer to zap all their uniforms on mm-hmm. for no other reason than, like, hey, the Fantastic Four don't fight in their civilian clothes. They fight in their uniforms. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's the most obvious. They do that once in a while. Like, oh, well, let's take this opportunity to change into our uniforms, basically, so that we can look like the team for right i don't know why 
Like, it's kind of fun to see them in their civilian clothes and fighting. It makes it seem like they're, you know, off balance. Action awaits right? if they're in their suits, I guess. Right. Yeah. But I, I like that it's the villain. Like, you must, you know, you have to look the part. Which, why uh, he would even know that again to me is like, yeah, right. Doesn't totally make sense. Yeah. So they, they, they fight him. He's kind of strong. The, I mean, the, the detail, the, the, the way that they beat him is kind of funny. He's charging up his hammer to deal out some punishment to them to, to deal out the uh, the verdict yeah. or whatever. And basically at the last moment before his hammer goes off, they push him down on top of it. And so he <laughs> is judged by his own hammer and he yeah. disappears. And that's it. Like it didn't kill him. Reed Richards is just like his verdict. Her, his verdict fell on the wrong man. So he left Earth and then the issue's over. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. So that's our that's our introduction to the Kree and Ronin. I think yeah. more importantly, in this issue, we have the single <laughs> worst interaction uh, between Sue uh, and Reed okay, of, let's, let's, of the decade. Right. So we have a. We're going to do something a little special for you. We're going to put on a. One act <laughs> dramatic play for you tonight. Our yeah. rendition of Reed is a total. <laughs> it's the title of the play. Are we doing the whole uh, page? Oh, let's do the whole page. It's you can start with panel two. I think that's fine. Panel two. Yep. Okay. Now okay. you're you're going to be playing the role of Reed Richards. That's correct. This evening, and I will be playing the role of Susan Storm. I don't know what to think. But if someone does have the power to subject us to a mind probe from somewhere in space beyond the stars, then we dare not close our eyes to the appalling danger. Stop. Don't say any more. I don't believe it. I won't believe it. I don't want to believe it. I'm sick of adventure and peril. I just want to live a normal life. Sue! I want to set up housekeeping as Mrs. Reed Richards. I want to be involved with supermarkets instead of super villains. Wait, darling. Come back. I'm sick of living in a ridiculous costume. I'm a woman. I want feminine dresses, foolish hairdos. Don't let go of me. Not till I've had my say. Listen, you lovely little cupcake. You'd know I'd do anything in the world for you. I'd face a million superpowered foes without a second thought. But when I see one tear in your gorgeous eyes, it destroys me. Then, you mean? I mean, you're right. I've been a blind and inconsiderate fool, but I'm gonna make up for it. I want to buy you a whole new wardrobe. Then you and I will do the town like it's never been done before. Darling, I don't know what to say. Fine. Wives should be kissed and not heard. Oh, oh, I felt so bad saying that line. It's so bad. It's, oh, <laughs> it is. That's like hands down the most sexist thing that they have said in these comic books. By, by like a country mile. I is... think, I think the most, <clears throat> <clears throat> I think the most brutal part of it. <laughs> <laughs> is that uh, they clearly are using this as an example of an extremely healthy, loving marriage. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is like them reconciling and like... Yeah, it's it's held up as a very, like, good moment for the two. And again, Sue walking back here and like... I. I don't have a problem with Sue wanting to shop. Great. Like, she can do, she can like things that many women like. There's nothing wrong with that. I kind of like, you know, her being sick of the superhero life. Like, that makes sense. That's kind of yeah. interesting. That's actually not a bad development. Um, I just I just hate that it sort of manifests in her being, like, so just, like, falling into Reed's arms and being, like, tell me what to do. And then him say, him ending on that line, you know? God, that last line is terrible. Or, or even the fact that, like, she needs his permission. You know what I mean? Like, it's that, right. it's that level yeah. of relationship. I mean, all that being said, I do like the play on words of, like, 
I want supermarkets, not supervillains. <laughs> I think that's genuinely kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah, that, like, that doesn't bug me as much as that. Yeah. Oh, that well, I mean, it still is just like all she cares about is like fancy dresses and clothes and like food shopping, which is so dumb. I, yeah. I, like it reads as like, like they wouldn't write this in, you know, like Mad Men because they'd be like, oh, that's, that's too unbelievable. No one's that sexist. Like, <laughs> well, it's so, it's so ham fisted is the thing. And it's like, I, I think you could, a lot of people make the argument like, well, for the time, here, here's the thing. We've got, f- what, five, six years of Marvel comics where it actually was not this bad? So, and, this, and, so, and it's going, it's flying directly in the face of what's happening in the larger culture of like, yeah. of, of second wave feminism is going on right now, which is like all about the woman's place, like w- women being able to work and not just being stuck in this housewife duty. Like that, that is at the forefront of american culture right now so they, yeah. they this is like th- this is being antagonistic toward towards that movement yeah and i'm just saying like even in the even in the context of their own work this is this is a, a step back. up yeah weak yeah. sauce weak sauce step it up stan we know you can <laughs> yeah yeah okay so that's going to bring us to fantastic four annual number five <laughs> which which starts out, i i wrote because i didn't know what was happening but it immediately just starts out with sue like running and fainting for apparently no reason and it was just like oh come on guys <laughs> like yeah um she's just like i think i got a little heated we get some uh <laughs> the black panther is on vacation uh i don't know if that's actually what he's doing but he's going to like his no no private... he buys an island and he names it panther island that yeah. is an important <laughs> detail <laughs> i missed that that's good uh yeah he goes to his own private island only to find the inhumans like you mentioned and he starts fighting karnak and medusa until they realize i think one of them one of the inhumans mentions the fantastic four and he's like oh i know them like i guess we're all friends here yeah they mentioned johnny and, and black panther's like oh okay you guys are cool I oh it johnny. actually it breaks up because black bolt shows up and, uh, and he does the same exact stance that he did to signal impending disaster, but this time it's the stance of peace. <laughs> yeah, he's doing his peace stance. Right. Yeah, I, I love I love his stances. They're all just like arms in the air, legs spread. <laughs> I'm telling you, a nine panel nine panel grid black bolt stances pin up. I, yeah, and they're I all exactly the same, but they uh, <laughs> they all mean very different things. <laughs> right, they're all the same image. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Wait, I don't even remember. Why are Black Bolt... So, all right, the- so they jump, you jumped a, ahead a little bit here. Um, yeah. This issue debuts uh, Psycho Man, and oh, he right. is uh, he preys on fear, doubt, hate. He's got a big remote control with those buttons very clearly labeled. I first, my first thought was like, this guy sucks. My second thought was, no, wait, he's cool. Uh, <laughs> 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 only because, like, I figured that he was going to... What really drove it home for me is that, yeah, he's carrying around this huge box that just has three big words on it, fear, doubt, hate. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, he's going to have a bunch of different weapons and this will be, you know, he'll interchange those emotions. He manipulates a bunch of emotions. I like Googled him and did Google image to see what he looks like modern day. Mm -hmm. He looks exactly the same. Like modern day Psycho Man is still just carrying around a big box that says those three words. And that's so weird that I kind of dig it. Like that weird idea of him walking around with just like brightly colored words saying these emotions. Right. He's he's weird and he's kind of creepy. And I think he actually really distills one of what I think of as one of Jack Kirby's um, go to themes, which is a villain preying on human emotion. And in particular, like ramping like ways villains can ramp up hate and using comic book sort of over the top villains to sort of show 
how that works in just society. You know, like we don't we don't actually even need the supervillains to to see this kind of hate in the world, but this is a way of like distilling it and showing yeah, it artistically sure. and with action and in kind of a more fun adventure context. Um, <laughs> it's not literally just Adolf Hitler in a hood. <laughs> yeah, right. Boring. Like there's a, it's, you know, the metaphor is thin, but it's, it's Psycho Man or it's Dark Side with the new gods, or it's the Mad Bomb in the late seventies in Captain America. Like Kirby does this a lot. And I think it's one of the things that it's one of the stories that with him, I'm like, oh yeah, like I see maybe it's heavy handed, but it, it works honestly for me in comics. So Psycho Man is, yeah, he's basically here to mix things up and, uh, I don't know, cause, cause like, he, he's trying to steal a bunch of components so that he can cast his, like, fear rays over the whole Earth. Mm-hmm. What I, what really frustrated me about this is that I kind of grew to be like, oh, this is, this is kind of an interesting character idea and he's got some interesting powers. But at the same time, we're also introduced to, like, he gets three lackeys here. His lackeys are hilarious. <laughs> Livewire, Shellshock, and Ivan Karlovich. <laughs> I looked Ivan. I looked up I okay. So like Livewire has an electric lasso. Shellshock shoots missiles, little missiles out of a little gun. And Ivan Karlovich um I have no idea. I don't remember at all. And I looked him up. He never shows up again. It's just like no. a man named Ivan is in this issue fighting yeah. the psycho man. And it this is kind of what I was talking about before, where it's just like I don't know what they think they're doing with all these different villains and characters. Like, do they think that it needs to be busier? Do they think they need more characters? It needs to be more dynamic because it's just, it it muddles the whole issue. And it's just like, Psycho Man's an interesting idea. Like, drill down on that. Focus on that. Yeah, and instead right. we get him plus three weirdos who don't add anything to this and will barely... I, I actually read uh, Livewire and Shellshock both come back later. But they both no just get killed off as like, you know, bit little, like, I, I think jokey deaths, like Livewire gets eaten by another villain's pet snake <laughs> and Shellshock <laughs> gets killed off screen. Yeah. No, they're, they're total throwaway henchmen. I laughed out loud when they showed up because I yeah. have no recollection of them being in this issue. It's, it's a strange addition, if you can even call it that, but yeah. it's, you know, it's not additive. Um, the big news here, as the Black Panther and the Inhumans sort of fight their way into Psycho Man's island, is uh, Reed and Sue having a baby. And oh, they yeah. tell they tell the team, everyone's all super excited. Ben, John, Crystal, um, Alicia, they're all super stoked. So we get the first family adding uh, adding a newborn. Ben Grimm's reaction is very cute. <laughs> Ben's super excited. He's going to yeah. be an uncle. He's super honored when Sue mentions that they'd like to make him godfather. It's a really right. nice page yeah, of sweet. him like running around, whooping and cheering. Yeah, he lifts, um, he lifts Reed up into the air, starts like yeah. throwing him up. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice moment. Yeah. The other thing, uh, God, the other thing about Psycho Man that drove me crazy is like in the final page, I think it's either the final page or the next to last page. Are you about to describe the best thing about him? It might be interesting later because, but here it's just like, oh, and here's just another whole world of details that don't need to be here and that like uh-huh. we didn't talk about it at all and it just happens at the very very end you're talking about the fact that he's super tiny right right yeah you, you talked about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's really tiny he's from the the microverse which is which is an interesting idea separate from a guy who wants to like manipulate the world's emotions separate from a guy who works next to like an electric cowboy and ivan like mm-hmm. th- there's just they just have this thing where and then you know Black Panthers here and the Inhumans are here for reasons we don't I don't really know why and there's this whole baby subplot like 
it's just a lot. And I, the thing is, like, Marvel gets really good. Spider-Man is specifically really good at this. Balancing a bunch of different storylines and making them all feel like one big thing moving forward. Right, right. Right, weaving in and out those plot threads. But this is, like, it's just a lot of plot threads that don't... It's, it's, I feel like this is comic books at their absolute worst. Like, um, I see this in event comics a lot. Like, I've been reading some DC events from the 2000s. And a lot of them mm-hmm. just feel like this. It's just, like... There's 10 storylines going here. They don't, they only loosely tie in together. They're not thematically linked. It's just like, here's a bunch of stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. And some of it might resonate with you and some of it might not. And it's just like, it feels very, very janky to me. You know, I think one of the hardest things with the Inhumans in particular along those lines is I don't know, I don't know what they're going towards. Like, <laughs> like their yeah, plot lines. Right. You know, if you think about Spider Man, you mentioned like, Okay, let's say you get Betty in and her plot line is like she's trying to figure out the difference between Ned and Peter and who she wants to be with. And it's like you know what she's developing toward issue by issue. Um, Just that one example. The Inhumans, like I never – I'm never totally sure. They just sort of – they show up. They're in action. Like they're kind of trying to find a home, but it's not really very coordinated or cohesive. Right. Um, But they're all over these – this era of Fantastic Four. Like they obviously want them to be more. I just never quite know – it would it would be more more fitting to me if they like moved into the Baxter building. Right. And we're just right, with yeah. the team, you know? Yeah, it just became like the secondary unit. Yeah. Um so yeah, yeah Psycho Man I like as like a I'm gonna give him B list, Fantastic Four villain. I think I think he fits that pretty well, actually. Yeah, I I, I was intrigued by him, and I'm kinda curious to see if he becomes more interesting. But like Right. Ivan's A list, just to be clear. This big man <laughs> Yeah, I like Ivan Karlovich. Uh yeah, just based on this one and only appearance, he becomes an A A tier supervillain. We don't even remember <laughs> what his powers are. <laughs> that's right, villain of the year right there. Um, yeah, so that that's gonna do it for FF. I mean, like I said at the kind of the early stages there, I'm I'm concerned <laughs> that we've seen the best from Fantastic Four just because thinking ahead, and I haven't read ahead yet again but like i from 70 to 97 or whatever it is with kirby yeah i don't remember a ton being amazing but i'm i'm excited to dive into those again because i don't remember as clearly yeah i i was just glancing through the list and it's interesting seeing like somewhere around 1970 fantastic four vanishes from this list like we there are years where it's funny because right now we're reading like six issues of fantastic four a year like reading so much of it and then not that long from now they kind of vanish from the list in a big way like yeah. Yeah. I mean, 70s Fantastic Four, and we're jumping ahead, but like, it's definitely, I, it falls off. Like, you, lo- you yeah. lose Kirby, it falls off. And they start, they just start to, they get into that territory of like, if you really like these characters and you're a real big Marvel history buff, maybe you'll find some interesting things. But generally, if you're just talking like, what's the Marvel canon? Like, what are the things people are, you know, yeah, celebrate yeah, yeah. as the big stories? Like, it's not a lot of 70s Fantastic Four. And we'll yeah. read some of it, but not a ton. Yeah. Well, at least we still have Spider Man. Like <laughs> Spidey still... does not fade. <laughs> I don't think really ever. Yeah, Spidey's Spidey's good. Um Alright, so we've got two more. Tales of Suspense, 93 and 94. Wrap things up. <laughs> um the, the the only note I have for the Iron Man story in the, the A story here is Half Face, the Titanium Man, and Incoherent Action. <laughs> <laughs> like who was yeah. the art here? It's Gene Colon. Gene Colon, I think. Yeah, Colon. It's it's rough. Like it's really hard to tell what's happening panel to panel. Like the That's movement, the the fighting between like each panel just feels so. Uh, I don't know. Like there's not a good flow to it. It's really yeah. hard to get invested in these fights. I tried to read along with it, and I just like 
I couldn't care. And not just because I didn't really know what was going on. But also, Half-Face is this um, Chinese scientist who, like, had a lab accident and purportedly blew half his face off. But in reality, mm-hmm. like, maybe scarred up the bottom of his chin a little bit. <laughs> because You know what it reminds me? Have you watched, uh, you, you probably haven't, The Punisher on Netflix? No, no, I haven't seen that. So... There's a villain in that called Jigsaw. He's supposed to be in the second season. And there's like this big reveal. He's supposed to be all face mangled. They show and he's him. Still he's still very like, handsome. Like, he's like a top 10 attractive dude. <laughs> right. It, and the scars almost like add to his attractiveness. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's nothing. It's it's pitiful. It's like laugh it's, out loud funny. But yeah, half face. It's funny. Like, like, yeah, half face is like, come on, man. Like you're, like, he wears this strap under his chin that hides. Like it's basically an inch under his lips are obscured. And that's it's like it. he cut himself <laughs> shaving. Yeah. <laughs> right uh yeah i mean like you don't get to call yourself half face unless you've got like a prince zuko or a two-face or i don't know like more than this like lose half your face and like later he reunites with his family and kind of turns good um and it's very funny because they're just like well we don't care about what happened like you're still our you're still my husband and it's like well what if they were like wait what happened again i genuinely don't know (laughs) i can't see anything wrong (laughs) i'm I'm nine tenths face. It should be his name. Yeah. Um, but we're here for the Captain America story, which starts out with Captain America. He's swimming to Ames Advanced Idea Mechanics. Is that right? Yeah, you got. It. Oh yeah. Uh, breaks into their underwater base, and he's getting some help from another Shield agent, Agent Thirteen. And it's not revealed who this is right now. Is that a reveal later? Should I say? Uh, I. Who, is that, that a spoiler? Um, I, I don't know. I don't, think I don't know She's if in the MCU. Talk. I mean, well, no, no, I know. I just wasn't sure if like that's a big reveal later that you cover in my Marvels here. Uh, not to my knowledge. Okay, so this is this is Sharon Carter who will become a thing later. Like she'll become a uh, like Peggy Carter worked with Captain America in World War II. This is her niece, right? Who? That's uh, right. Yep. And she's going to become kind of like a mainstay of Shield and an ally of Captain America, etc. I don't. I don't think that's a big. A big reveal here just to say that no. um so he breaks in basically to find out who the the leader of aim is and <laughs> the aim agents are really funny because they're like they're getting orders from this mysterious figure and there's this kind of undercurrent of like why do we have to listen to him we created yeah. him and people are like shush, 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 shush. he might hear you and it's like no 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 like we we made him which is kind of fun and like an interesting idea and uh they end this issue they, they keep talking about him as Modoc, just a very strange name for uh, well, for anyone. <laughs> right. And uh, I like yeah, they... I like aim uh, I like aim office drama. By the way, like just <laughs> right, aim agents yeah. who are like dissatisfied and don't really like their boss. That's it, always compelling. But this issue ends without us seeing who Modoc is. It's still like a big secret, like who mm-hmm. the, the actual leader of aim is. And then that leads us into. <laughs> To tell us Spence 94 that has a really great panel. This is one of my favorite panel cover. Better than you ever could have imagined. This is such a good cover because 90% of it is like, it's Captain America alongside Agent 13, I think, fighting some AIM agents. Like, it's just a big yeah. action shot. But then tucked away down in the lower left corner, if you look down there, there's just this weird fleshy blob man. Like, <laughs> I feel like you, you could really easily look at this cover and not notice that he's down there and yeah. it, it's very funny when you notice him especially when you don't know who he is because he's just so modok is whew. no i want you to describe him 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. So Cap, you know, he's a prisoner of AIM and he is brought before MODOK, who is revealed. Now, I don't know if they actually say it here, but MODOK is an acronym. It stands for Mental Organism Designed Only for Killing. And he is <laughs> no, a... it's not. That's so good. <laughs> no, that's what it is. That's really funny. Unless I just invented part of it, but no, I'm pretty sure that's it. That's really good. <laughs> and uh, he is a giant brain. Think Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, with tiny little human legs and arms. He right? kind of looks I mean, just a like a big head, old brain head. Right? Like, he looks more like just an enormous head to me, but like a yeah. lot of skin, right? Because it's also like, are you wearing pants? Because it doesn't look like you're wearing pants. Because <laughs> you better be wearing pants. No, he's flying around in like a giant yellow mobile chair. Um, yeah. It's like Professor X's 90s wheelchair, but like with a little hat. Yeah. He's really absurd looking, but like in a way that I, I kind of like because that under that that um, undercuts his villainy. A little bit like i had the same thought about the leader for the hulk who just has this enormous green head and like i, I kind of like these villains who look i guess a lot a lot of kirby villains look dumb but you get the idea that he thinks they look cool <laughs> and i just disagree i like the ones that i think are supposed to look a little ridiculous to begin with but are actually like gratuitously still like, over the top i think it, right, it well. right like modok only works now in like comedic stories like Modok is only and pretty much always good in stories where they the writers are in on the joke. You yeah. know what I mean? Huh. Like that, that's I, definitely I did hear what about, he's best at now. Didn't he just get introduced in like 2019? Isn't there a version of him called Brodok that's like a big muscly version? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, he's I, I I liked him okay. Like I don't have uh, I don't have big thoughts about Modok. Modok silly. Cap and him fight. Um, the aim scientists use this opportunity to try to get out from Modok's thumb. You know they're like he's distracted. Let's take him out. Which again I appreciate the aim scientist backlash. Um, yeah, he looks. They knock him out of his chair, and uh, Modok looks even weirder out of his chair. He should never be seen out of his chair. Uh, that is grotesque and a little disturbing. Um, he mentally summons the destruction of their entire base, Modok does, while he is knocked out. And Captain America and company, they escape, and it appears to be the demise of the old mental organism designed only for killing. <laughs> yeah. Again, that design is like, I almost wish that they would just lean into making him like even more grotesque, kind of like uh, the Baron from Dune. Oh, you you don't know Dune, right? I don't. Yeah, like the like really lean into making him like this weird Lynchian <laughs> creation, right? Right. There's like, a version of Monster Modok that is like genuinely scary, probably. Like he should just have like more skin folds and like be even wetter, <laughs> you know? Like just be kind of yeah. like greasy and unpleasant to look at, but then like also yeah. still threatening. I think I think that could be a fun design. Cause, I don't know. It, at the very fun. least, like. <laughs> yeah uh he's just he's very very different from anything we've seen that being said like zom is not that far removed from that kind of like oh like he's just hard to look at and i hate zom so i don't know it's just my, my aesthetic preferences yeah yeah so yeah that's that's our 1967 part two i mean it's um like we said there's there's some good and there's a lot of just kind of feeling like we're stuck a little bit um, <sighs> i like the first half of this year like, yeah, right. It's interesting how that <laughs> that gets split up. Cool. So our poll this year uh, is... I don't remember. Oh, right. No, I remember. Um, our poll this year is which Marvel superhero has it the worst? Hmm. So we've got Peter Parker with his 
all of his personal problems, <laughs> just maintaining that Spidey life. We've got Captain America and his dead teenage sidekick. Uh, we've got Iron Man and his painful heart. We've got sad heart. <laughs> sad heart. We've got Ben Grimm and his gruesome transformation. And we have oh, I'm forgetting someone. We have Daredevil oh. and his blindness. No, no, we forgot. <laughs> Didn't do that. That might have made sense. Well, he kind of likes it. Like he doesn't want to get rid of it. Um, Does he? Well, remember because he's a he's a coward. Karen Page wants him to get surgery, and he's he doesn't well, he want to do it. Gets okay, rid of his yeah, power. We don't, we don't need to we don't need to fall down that rabbit hole. Oh, uh, and uh, the X Men for being societal outcasts. Mm, that's yes. a big one. Uh, So if you want to go vote in that poll, you've got basically a day to do it. Uh, It's closing tomorrow if you're listening to this on release day. Also, if you want to have get if you want to have your thoughts read on our variant cover episode next week, get those into us at mymarvelousthear at gmail.com by tomorrow. If you'd like to support the show, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash mymarvelousthear. Every little bit helps. Um, We're we've got a bunch of stuff we we hope is we hope for fun backer benefits. You can join our Slack channel where we're kind of discussing the comics in real time as we go. We're also just kind of having general discussions about other comics, movies, music, whatever. Um, we've got, I do the extra issues newsletter that I send out every two or three weeks covering all the issues we didn't get to cover and various introductions, kind of trying to fill you in on what else might be important or worth knowing, even if the comics aren't that good, which I suspect maybe this year might have some of, um, so uh, even if none of that sounds appealing or you don't feel like you have time for that, just giving us a dollar a month really helps. Like that, all, that stuff all adds up. So we really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks for everybody who's done that. I would say if you're looking for the reading list, you can find them at mymarvelousyear.com. That will take you to the site I run, Comic Book Herald, and you can find reading lists for every single year. Uh, you can also sign up for the Comic Book Herald Reading Club or, of course, uh, patrons. We'll also receive the reading list every week, so there are a variety of ways that you can get to reading uh, all of these Marvel comics as we cover them or uh, along with the rest of the club. Yeah, that's right. Uh, our theme music is by Disasterpiece. You can check out his work at his website or on Spotify. And thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next year. See you next year. 